Hi everyone, welcome back to The Inner Curious. I'm Louise and I'm here with my co-host Karen and today we are talking about a very juicy topic, the topic of emotions mm. and this has been Karen's uh, topic of choice so I'm going to hand it over to her. Thank you, it is a juicy one and I, I sort of I, I walk into this with trepidation <laughs> mm. and I guess that's why I want to talk about it because I've been on a journey uh, particularly since my dear mother passed away in 2019 and as much as I've called this sort of headline topic uh, emotions the more I think about it and I'll, I'll want to share a few stories with you as part of today's chat the more I think about it the more I think it's it's about self-awareness and it's about mm. what happens when your settings get adjusted <laughs> mm. because that's really the experience around emotions that I that's why I want to talk about it because I sort of had a, a certain view of how I navigated my emotions and that's been gently challenged over the last 12 to 18 months and it's been profound for me and I always viewed the way I processed emotions a certain way or didn't process emotions <laughs> I think what's the opposite of processing emotions denial um I think I thought I was uh, processing yeah yes. right I thought I was <laughs> processing emotions um and I am I'm a really, I'm quite a resilient person. So I'd be interested in seeing what the connection is with resilience and processing emotions at dinner. So let's get started. Mm. So I think the first time I realized I maybe wasn't on top of this, uh, allowing myself to process emotions was when I described my relationship with my emotions to a dear friend of mine who, happen, who happens to also be a very high-level DISC profiler and executive leadership coach. <laughs> now, the reason I laugh, and it's interesting that I'm laughing as we walk into this topic because I notice about myself that when I'm in a, an, an uncomfortable, when I'm in uncomfortable territory that requires my emotions, I can have a response of laughing and if someone tells me shocking news my whole life I have had to warn people look my natural reaction to shock is to laugh yep I've been on the end of that <laughs> we listen to it yeah and how did that feel for, see and I'm just going to transfer straight across to you so I don't have to talk about my emotions and how did that feel for you Louise when you told me something shocking and I laughed did I warn you Yes, he did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Goodness. So it, it was okay. It was okay. Mm. So I was having a conversation. It was a debrief in a, a small group setting with this fabulous person. And it was maybe towards the end of the year. And I was saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to spending some time, you know, over the, over the break, um, getting to know my, you know, having a conversation with some of my emotions and, and I, I felt the need to say out loud that, you know, the way I view my emotions is uh, they're all sitting over there. 
on a couch and I can I've got the detail of the couch Louise it's a 1970s you know you might see it on the side of the road you definitely see it in a groovy salvos in the inner city that you know would get have a ridiculous price on it now I think that, <laughs> that's what the sofa looked like or if you ever go into those grungy cafes and they've got an eclectic mix mm. of laminates tables so I can tell you exactly what the sofa looked like there's some orange maybe some brown definitely some cane on the knobs somewhere not cane pine pine yeah <laughs> 70s was pine stained <laughs> pine mm. so I I said out loud that oh yes you know I'm really looking forward to having a little bit of a chat with my emotions you know like there's something external from me and I can see them all sitting on the couch and they're waiting they're waiting there for me with a with a pot of tea no alcohol involved pot of tea and they're just ready when I am to sit down and have a chat so that felt really normal <laughs> to me and the observation was made in the most gentle and accessible way by my dear friend that said, gee, it's really interesting that you view your emotions as something that you can just check in with when you feel like it and that they're a little bit arm's length and not within you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we might just pause there. What would be your observations mm. based on mm. someone describing their emotions in that way? And this is a while ago now. I've done some more work since then. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually don't think it's unusual because I think we because it, we can just be so put off or um, unfamiliar with feeling our emotions that sometimes as a way to cope, we compartmentalise that, okay, this is, this is what it looks like at the moment and I think I think it's a beautiful um it's beautiful imagery in a way to be able to see them all sitting on the couch you know a couch is a is a comfy place that mm. is nurturing and and um <laughs> where we go to I guess relax and, and be with ourselves in a way you know at the end of the day so to speak um I, I don't see it as unusual and to add to that a little story that I think is really interesting relating to my son actually when he he was just going through an emotional time I don't know nine or ten and I I remember him describing to me, which is maybe not unfamiliar with what you've just spoken about. He said, Mum, I can't, I can't pinpoint how I feel mm. because I feel like all my emotions are all these different people trying to push through the door all at the same time. Oh, said, oh wow. That is the best description. <laughs> yeah. And what's that movie, yeah. the one with all the, it just made me think of maybe oh, we do view our emotions yeah. this way now because we've been influenced by that movie. We'll come back to it. But the kids' movie. Yeah, yes. that had all the different emotions and they've shown it at schools. When my boys are at primary school, they showed it to them. So this was the feeling 
towards the end of last year. So that was sort of the first story. So I'm, I feel, um, thank you, because I do feel it's unusual. No. Um, and certainly my girlfriend didn't respond in that way. She just, and it's always her curious nature. It's interesting that you see, and I think, oh, when Joe says something, I really need to process that. So then a year or so, no, it was probably the start of that year, that same year, or maybe the year before, it, it, it's inconsequential. I was speaking at an in real life conference in uh, Warren Ponds, which is near Geelong. And so I had the option as part of that day to attend one of the sessions. And so it was for uh, business women's leadership conference. It was such an interesting, eclectic mix of women. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go to the one that's the counsellor, the kinesiologist. It was a real beautiful self-care one. And the lady was, I think it's Deborah Fairful. I'll put a link in. She's got a, this, this big sort of well-being program now that I've seen. Anyway, at the time, she's, um, I think she's still based in Sydney. She came down. It was sort of this self-care session. And uh, there was a focus on, well, it just felt like the right thing to do. I probably didn't even read it, the fine print that, that sort of in that much detail. But we... We went into the session and of course I get I get quite into <laughs> these sorts of sessions and she was talking about emotions and what they are. So she was coming at it from a really quite a science or well, a more scientific perspective than I'd ever experienced before. And she was explaining why we feel a certain way and, and what the sort of what our different responses can be and the importance of affirmation. Now, I'd heard a lot of people talk about affirmations and thought, oh, I don't really, like I, I have positive mantras that I, and this is related to the journey that I've been on, that I now realise was sort of what pushed me into denial. So stay with me. Like if I was feeling scared or if I was feeling like I couldn't do something, if I was feeling like I was about to step into a big, I was about to step on stage to speak or about to run an online seminar for 750 people. You know, there's a series of emotions one might go through in the lead up to that. So how affirmations translated in my life were, you can do this, Karen, you've got this, you can do this. That was positive self-talk. And that was as far, which have served me really, really well. And that's as far as affirmations had gone for me in my life, because I had thought up until that point that I spoke to myself quite nicely. <laughs> Stay with me. So during this session, there was an open forum at the end. And I asked Deborah, look, I've got this thing that happens to me and it's not road rage, but it's like a form of road rage. And it's sort of road rage on myself. It's like what I do when someone inflicts something on me when I'm on the road. And I'd really like to just share it and see what your observations are because it blindsided me, Louise. Like when this thing would happen, and I'll describe it to you, it would really take my breath away and really I would surprise myself. So my reactivity to a certain situation. So what would happen, and this is when my mother was still alive. So what would happen is I'd be driving along the road, happy as anything, probably listening to music, maybe also singing along to that music, which puts me in my happy place. So, you know, talking about emotions, but am I really feeling them? Am I really, you know, absorbing how I'm really feeling? And someone might cut me off. But importantly, for to trigger the reaction that I would have, it would need to be quite a dangerous, dangerous cutoff. So they would cut me off in a way that if I hadn't have sort of 
you know, slowed down or been aware of what they were doing. It could have been an accident. So in that moment, my reaction was just this overwhelming amount of anger that moved me into a very different state to the state that I had been in as I was first just driving along listening to the music. And so I, I, my question to Deborah was, why, how can I move from one state to the next so quickly? Mm. And why is it that something that I should probably expect on the road and have learnt is going to happen? Why do I have such an intense response to that? And what she offered to me in that moment was a set of tools that have been the beginning of me starting to realise that I had maybe an inability, like your son talked about. I feel like I love that. They're all rushing through the door and I don't know, you know, I don't know how to greet them and I don't even know, like, is the door going to fit them? Can they even? No, I'm just going to shut the door. Just shut the door. I'll be with Mm. you in a moment or maybe never. Mm. So she took me through this this sort of series of things to do, which was extremely helpful. And it made me realise that your emotions, and remember this situation with Deborah happened before I had the conversation about the chairs. So even though I've had these two separate situations, you'd maybe think I would have synthesised them given they were a year or so apart. It's only now that I talk that I realise I didn't make the connection. I still had to do this other work to sort of get me to processing emotions. So she suggested that when something happens, when you get that sort of, and in this case it was anger, what you probably need to do within a safe time, so as quickly as possible, but, you know, within 30 minutes of something like that happening is pull over and ask yourself, how am I feeling right now? What is the emotion I'm feeling? which is the bit that I, like your son, got a bit stuck on, like naming them, name the emotion. And she said the process of naming the emotion is really important. So name the emotion. Okay, what's the emotion? And so initially I thought it was anger. And when I started to really do this exercise, because, you know, lo and behold, within a month of me, you know, having this conversation with her, it happened again. No surprise there. And so what I realized the feeling was, as I was, you know, what am I really feeling is it was, it was more around righteousness. So someone has done the wrong thing by me and my reaction. So I'm, I'm still, you know, maybe not hundred percent clear as to the, the exact emotion, but for me, it was around righteousness. And when have I felt that emotion before? That was the next step. When have you felt that emotion before? So think about when you felt that emotion before. And for me, it was very much around just feeling like uh, with the diagnosis diagnosis of my mother having Alzheimer's, that it was not fair. There was, you know, a lack of, so it was sort of righteousness. It's not fair. Woe is me. Woe is my mum. Woe are the circumstances. And so because I hadn't properly processed those emotions, when I was in a situation where someone did something that was unfair, that's why I had the reaction. And so that was a really enlightening for me. And it was, it, it enabled me to kind of go, oh, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> Which is maybe now I'd say it out loud why I got to sort of a year or so later or within that same year, I'm not 100% sure where I was sort of going, oh, yes, you know, I know there's emotions there. 
I just haven't sort of introduced myself to them and they're sitting on the couch over there. <laughs> so mm. do you have reactions like that? I mean, how do you feel? What happens for you when emotions sort of saying, hello, Louise, <laughs> I'm in here. <laughs> wow. That's really profound. And how amazing that you were able to have a conversation where you could explore something so specific that could, could help you understand them more. Um, I, I definitely have reactions like that. And I, I, I've now come to understand that it's, yeah, I can get triggered and, and it is a really physical feeling. It, mm. it can overtake your whole body. And I think I didn't necessarily associate the physicalness of it for a long, long time. And it's only really in the past two years, I think, as well, that I've come to understand that more through um, the teachings with um, Sonia Statman and also uh, her podcast co-host. So they do a podcast. There's another woman she does that with called Laura Shuk Guzman, who they have the podcast together and she's a somatic therapist. Ah, oh, yes, I hear and the so word I, somatic come up yeah. more and more. So it's really around that the sense of the wisdom in the body and how it holds emotion mm. and the memory of emotion. And, and by no means, I don't understand a lot of it, but I guess firsthand experience is when I have been triggered and I feel it physically and then I I'm aware of that maybe in the past I would have shut that down pretty quickly because either the circumstance I'm in if I was at work mm. so hang on I can't feel that right now mm. but but not even accepting that hang on at some point I do need to feel that and explore that so more recently say in the past 12 months I I have noticed certain times of being triggered and I have given myself the space to feel it and it, it's kind of this um, experience of having to release it physically through um, crying I guess too, that's, I, I'm not as scared of that anymore. I guess the other part is you feel like you're just going to be swallowed up by your emotions if you do actually let yourself feel them. But I've come to realise. Well, if you myself, do let yourself feel them. But what happens yeah. if you don't let yourself feel them? Keep going. Sorry, but that's, yes, yes that's the yeah, question always. Yeah, yeah. So I would let them be felt through crying, through dance, and just get on some really good, you know, loud music that I love. And what's that saying? Dance like nobody's watching. Mm. Um, or journaling, I find, is another way that helps me hear myself think, I guess, on the page. But what I learned from that experience this year in letting myself do that and journaling at the end of it it was triggering a value and that's the part I found incredibly interesting is that like you were saying in that mm. instance of, of the car it's like they're never logical I think that's the other part too I've mm. come to learn is these feelings are never 
logical and they turn up at a time where you're like hang on why what does that mean mm. but it it's triggering something deeper that is a, a value and I and I worked out the value it had triggered and came to realize oh that's why I feel like that in that very moment and it made and- me feel better about myself because it helped me connect back to my own values yeah and this is it's this I'm now increasingly calling this this coming home this Mm. idea of coming home and so there's a lot of listening to you you have a lot of tools that really I've only discovered during the pandemic and thank goodness you know one of them is the journaling through you so I want to come back, I want to share a bit more about this journey because I'm sort of circling around it and I, I want to share it in this way because, I don't know, maybe I'm not the only one that's gone through these sorts of experiences. Maybe I am. No, I know I'm not alone. So my mother passes away in, I'm saying it as it's happening, in uh, the end of 2019. So I think I've had the conversation with Deborah about the processing of you know emotions and she has a couple of extra steps in there I haven't sort of shared the full thing that sort of lead down affirmations but for the sake of today's exercise I'll sort of leave it at just identify the emotions there's a couple of other things she suggests you do so in my brain so this is around the self-awareness right so I this this was my game plan and this is the way my brain worked at this point in time I've been through a really difficult period and there was heaps of crying. Let's be really clear. Mm. Every time I drove home from a visit with mum, bawling, sometimes with mum, bawling, and if anyone's experienced uh, losing a loved one to Alzheimer's or dementia, they're just dying in front of you over time. And so it's someone described it to me once, it's like a really slow death. Mm. And so you're sort of in grief mode this whole time. So one would think, therefore, that one was processing <laughs> their emotions. I was allowing myself to, no, yeah, allowing. So there was a really strong dynamic of control going on, of make me naively thinking I could control these things. And so um, within three weeks of mum passing away, I did some research. I went to the GP. I got a referral. And I always knew I would do this. But I'm going to go and see a therapist about this whole experience of, of mum's Alzheimer's and how I've maybe, maybe been in denial. <laughs> no one ever admits it, do they, till after the event. But I'd sort of gone, yes, this is really sad. This is really awful. Yes, I'll have a cry after a visit from her. And then I just got on with it. And interestingly, my business grew. If you looked at sort of the decline of mum's health and the growth of my business, I realise now that I have... Um, been through this beautiful Voices of program with Tali that I realised that one of my voices, my doer voice, effectively just took over. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. she likes denial because she doesn't want to talk about emotions. She just wants to, okay, Karen, come on, let's do this. And that, I will be forever grateful to my doer voice for playing that role in my life and helping me build my business. (laughs) Anyway, Mm. I get to the end of 2019. Mum passed away December 2019, I think January. By the third week of January, I'd done, spoken to my GP, got a referral for, I think they call it a mental health care plan and you get five sort of half price visits to a um, someone. And so I decided I have a few clients that operate in this space. So I looked for a couple of, you know, recommendations and I found someone that was a grief therapist. 
so specialized in grief because I thought my emotion that I was experiencing was grief. So it just made sense that I needed to go and see a grief therapist and that I would just be walked through the process by a clinician around, please tell me what the steps are. Please tell me what the plan is for how I... (laughs) (laughs) So um, Goldie was great. I did all, you know, all the things you would want a grief therapist to do and here are the, you know, rights of the grieving person. And, and she was, I think she was really surprised that I was in the room as quickly as I was. And I explained what was all part of my plan. And of course I've been through a very difficult period and of course I'm grieving. So (laughs) poor Goldie, she managed me really well. So I did that for a little while. And then I just, I think COVID hit you know, March, April, May. And so what went on then was this, do you remember that um, that article that circled that said that discomfort you're feeling is grief? Mm. It was right at the start of COVID um, when it sort of hit here in Australia and there was this Harvard Business Review. There was a really interesting article and I thought, oh, well, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to cope with COVID fine because I've just been to a grief counsellor. I've just experienced... <laughs> see how sort of I talk to myself I've just experienced this so you know I'm gonna be able to navigate this all right and you know it was a time I remember when COVID when this all started happening and it was a really interesting time because everyone was talking a lot more about their emotions so again Mm. I just stayed on the grief channel and I did not move off the grief channel and I think I held that emotion like a chalice for a good 12 months and I'm not judging that I'm not saying it was a good thing I'm not saying it was a bad thing um, I'm just saying that's what I did. And so we then sort of moved through and, and you know, and what was still going on in my life, I now realise, is this reactivity. So when things would happen, things didn't go my way and it was based on my desire for control. So while I may have in my mind rationally, which you've just identified, there's no logic around this response, um, the reactivity was still there and it wasn't necessarily, you know, I'd done the been through the process I understood what Deborah told me about when I got blindsided so I definitely got better at that particular situation but you could see that was reactivity in other situations so um, I did some meditation that's been really helpful meditation with the one roof community a business women's or sort of professional women's community that I'm a part of I definitely dived more into journaling at your suggestion and so as I was starting to maybe have more of these conversations with myself and open up channels other than the grief channel Mm. I remember having lunch one day and thinking oh I'll just listen to a podcast and our our meditation guide through One Roof Tully Brash who is also my voices of coach became but at the time she was my meditation guide had a podcast and I thought oh this is interesting I'll listen to Tally's podcast so I'm sitting there having my lunch having a break from my day sitting at my kitchen table no one else is there and I'll try to contextualize this as well as possible Tally has a series of voices that are the inner voices it's part of the voices of program that she runs and this particular voice that she had I can't remember exactly which voice it was but what's important is it was Yentl so she had a name for it it's a full character and it was symbolic of her grandmother and so in this particular podcast episode stay with me Tali is interviewing her inner voice and it's Yentl Mm. so 
start seems to be hello everyone today I've talked to you about the voices of the program and today I'm introducing Yentl this is the role that she's played in my life as the inner voice this is why she's been really helpful this is how this voice has helped me and when Tali talks about voices she talks about the unhealthy way these voices can come out reactivity and mm. the healthy ways that they can really help you so I use the example of the doer and that that was really the, the voice that sort of helped me just, we're okay, Karen, let's get on with it. It's okay, you've had your cry in the car now. Now you can just keep moving. And that's exactly what I did. So I'm sitting there having lunch thinking, oh, this is lovely. Let's hear from Yentl. And this beautiful voice comes on. So let's be clear, it's Tully in character, mm. right? And started to speak to Tully and I just started to cry. Mm. And it really blindsided me and it blindsided me in the same way all those that time earlier, a year or two earlier, that I'd been in that car driving along and the person had cut me off. And I'm thinking, oh, hello, what's going on here? So I think I was maybe more in tune with the realisation that, and I think it was sort of like, hang on, I've done the grief counselling, I'm okay, there's all these things going on in the world. Why have I just had this reaction to a beautiful, kind voice? And I thought, I think it reminds me of my mother. I think that's why. I didn't really know. And mm. so I listened to the rest of it, had a beautiful cry and just really, a, you know, guffaw, you know, deep sobbing cry and I sent the podcast episode to my sister and I said, look, can you do me a favour? Can you listen to this? Doesn't this person just remind you so much of mum? Listen to Yentl, like listen to the conversation. So my sister must have listened to it almost straight away and sent me a message back within an hour or two and said, oh, that's no, it doesn't remind me of mum at all. She said, that's so interesting. She said, I have that voice in my head. That's how I talk to myself. Isn't that how you talk to yourself, Karen? <laughs> I just went, no way, stop. And so that yeah. is where my massive self-awareness kicked in and I just thought, oh, my goodness, what is going on? Mm. Wow. Mm. There's a lot in there. <laughs> where do I begin? Oh, yeah. That's how I was feeling. But I, based on what you've just described, I feel like, yes, you're opening up to your emotions more and letting them in. Mm. And if they happen to come at that time when something has resonated for you, then... It's it's really the process of of how you're giving yourself permission to feel them, mm. um, and in in some ways, I have probably been a little bit the opposite. <laughs> and <laughs> why does that not surprise me? Is that not a theme between you and I? I know I've always been a feelings person, and. And if anything, yeah, maybe have told myself I'm too sensitive 
because I I will naturally have a sense of empathy or I can feel things that people might feel or I'm sensitive to certain movies and I cannot watch mm. certain movies. Um, so I think I think what what you have been going through is is that process of letting yourself feel them and I think at times that like you, you've described it it, can, it blindsides you because it comes out of nowhere mm. and if it's not how it's your usual what is it modus operandi it's 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 like well hang on you know up until now what I've done has worked and uh <laughs> Why should it be or any so different? I yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but for me, feelings have actually always been a guide or an insight mm. on things that we either care about or things that we don't care about or we dislike or um, what I don't know. A, a quieter voice of giving you a hint of oh I'm, I'm, I think I'm interested or curious in that thing over there and my feelings are telling me where I am here over here in this feeling I'm either not comfortable or not happy but oh there's that thing over there that looks like it could be more joyful and so I guess I better go in that direction and explore it I know for me my feelings have definitely steered certain decisions and it probably looked completely illogical and it would not have made sense. And, and probably, you know, my move from Sydney to Melbourne to others around me may have looked very um, illogical. Mm. But it, and the initial feelings were confusion and discomfort and I guess the other part in, in highlighting all of this, as you have said, knowing you were grieving, you you sought out help to, to try and process that. And, and at times I have definitely also done the same. And, and when that confusion and discomfort has come along, I've definitely sought out the help when I've had to sort out, not sort out, but, you know, explore some bigger feelings to, to help me get to the other side of them to yeah make decisions or changes that then do put me on the path that feels better mm. yeah and it's that feeling and I think you know I, I I felt it's interesting because I'm I'm feel like I've always been very tuned into gut reactions mm. so I'd, it, I I hear you when you say you know there's a certain acknowledging those feelings are telling you something I, I just don't think I ever named them and I, I was you know if I sort of got a weird unsettling feeling about something I would certainly have always tuned into that or if I got a strong sense that I should or shouldn't do something without any rational reason I would listen to that I would you know I wouldn't sort of push those thoughts away I never really have up until the last sort of six months or so, six to 12 months, really taken the time to identify the emotion. And that has been something that has been 
incredibly useful because it's moved me from this and you it's interesting because you observed it you said you saw me sort of do full circle on a reaction to something because you know one of the things we often talk about are triggers and you saw me sort of for want of a better word bounce back I don't think we're really talking about resilience here it's about processing accepting and then moving back into the conversation that initially triggered you that you saw my cycle Mm. to be quite different now but it's Mm. and so the two other tools that I must mention as part of this conversation, which is on the face of it, emotions, and I think it's really about self-awareness. So it is about emotions. It's about a lot of things, I think, this conversation. And I'm, mm-hmm. I feel like you're going to do a beautiful summary of that at the end. No pressure. <laughs> but, but these conversations always help me synthesise. That's why I want to talk to you about it because I feel like, you know, I feel better about the fact that you said, well, I don't think it is unusual that you, you know, mm. have your emotions out there. And when you described, you know, the nine or 10-year-old version of your son, that his description of them is very relatable. So that sort of really helped me. So the other two things that have really helped me, uh, I then began, um, I think initially at your suggestion. So you and I regrouped. We've talked about this once before um, after the first sort of round of lockdowns. And I asked you, you know, how what, what have you done? Like, how have you got through this? And you said, well, I've actually done a lot of, you know, internal reflection, I've done a lot of journaling. And I think I was quite specific with you and said, well, how do you journal? What do you do? Because mm. for me up until that point, journaling was very dear diary. Dear diary, mm. you know, so more adolescent or it was a recording of events. So, again, yeah, do- no capturing of emotions. <laughs> So I, um, so I, I was doing Wednesday afternoon meditation, which was lovely because that was certainly quieting my mind and allowing me to move within a bit more. I mean, this is effectively, you know, this whole journey has been about moving from, it's been two parts. It's been, so this sort of, it's, it's been all about coming home. And I loved your description of how you sort of talked about your process this idea of the quieter voice is lovely. So it's been about from going outwards to reacting to the things happening outside of me to inwards and scaling up or showing a greater interest or or spending more time being curious about my reactions versus reacting. And so Mm. the tool that's real, and so meditation has helped with that because I think it's calmed things. It's also helped me well, the Voices Of program, which I'll talk about how that helped in a moment, but that's certainly been a shift from my head to my heart, mm. which is a whole topic in and of itself. And then mm. really the the journaling. So I do this structured journaling, which I think he did once with me, mm. uh, with Ingrid, uh, Jane Jones, I think, and in, Ingrid Jane mm. Jones, Ingrid Jones. Yes. And she has a very structured journaling process over an hour that we do in a group sort of setting via zoom where she draws out it's called diving for pearls and it's beautiful and in that she puts up a page of all these emotions and says I want you to think about the emotions you've been feeling this week and then she has a process okay I'm feeling this so and so that has almost been the tool that has been the tool that's taught me to stop and go okay Karen there's a list, choose 
from the list and let's talk about your feelings. So that's been incredible. And going back to my first conversation with this friend that's the um, DISC profiler, she does this beautiful exercise with her son. That is, there's apparently a wheel you can buy. Have you bought this wheel? Oh, my gosh, Louise is about to hold it up. It's the yes. wheel of emotions, emotional barometer. So she's yes. got it too. This is a thing. Can we put that in the link? Because there's... Um, Yes, it's um, from the School of Life and it's called A Tool to Explain Our Moods and there's a there's 20 cards uh, to define our inner weather. Oh, I love that. That might yeah. have to be a Christmas gift yourself for Karen. Mm. So um, Joe has a similar wheel. I, don't, I have no idea if it's the same one. And so when she's having conversations with her, he's in grade six, child, son she'll say okay let's get the wheel out and she'll look at the wheel let's and she names the emotion <laughs> to think mm. oh I would have loved to have been taught that skill of course someone with her advanced skills is going to know to do that but I thought isn't that interesting that you know all of all these things we get taught as children and all the education our children get do they actually get taught this thing that Deborah Fairfull said, well, this is how you deal with this. You, you allow yourself to sit with the emotion, you name it, and then you consider when you've felt that before. And then Deborah at that point started to talk about the inner child, which blew my mind. Then you work out as a child when that happened to yourself and then you write and you consider an affirmation and you reassure that child and what? laughing again so yes, there's, there's a whole world that explores yes. all of these things yes and so that wheel is beautiful and the naming of emotions so really yes we're talking about emotions today and so the naming of emotions and the allowing myself to process and the creation of the ritual each week and I can feel it if I have got it so I had a conference yesterday so I wasn't able to attend um so today Saturday the point at which we're recording today's session so Yesterday, I couldn't attend the journaling session and I, I can feel a difference over the course of a week if I haven't sort of taken that time to sit down and it's sacred, I call it sacred time with self mm. when I do that digging and I allow myself to really process the week and, and name my emotions and synthesize my feelings so that my brain can kind of go, okay, this is how we're feeling. No, my heart can really lead versus my brain that likes to lead that I don't think is always the best guide for me mm. so how do you use that I remember when you purchased that how do you use that barometer mm. yeah good question I I probably don't I haven't used it as often as I thought thought I would um, probably because it's not, I'm not in the habit of it, but um, I have certainly used the tool. Well, sorry, back to the cards. There is a card for each um, emotion, not all of them, but 20. And so you can go to that card and actually read, I guess, you know, um, 
Could you, could we pick one out just as a matter of fun? So oh. don't go in there. Can you sure. look at the barometer right now? How are you feeling, yeah. Elise? Mm. Oh, how am I feeling? Obsessed, solitary, envious, grateful, uh, dreamy, loving, anxious. Gosh, there's a lot. See, this is the thing. It's like I could be feeling something and it's not in the box. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm feeling, okay, I'm going to say a level of practical that there's okay. something in me at the moment. I'm feeling like uh, I've got a bit of doing feeling. Oh, yes, good. <laughs> That's because you're spending time with me. My doer voice <laughs> yeah. is so strong. It can reach through. The, I'm not joking. The week I did the doer voice with Tully, it reached through the Zoom and got her partner reorganising and colour coordinating all of their bookshelves. It's funny you should mention that. There's been a bit of that this morning. Because <laughs> who doesn't like a colour-coded bookshelf? Let's be real. Yeah, no. All right, so what does the practical emotion say? Okay, it's quite long, but I'll try and condense. So it starts off saying, I'm feeling practical. For too long, we've been slothful and indigent. But now there's a crispness and purpose in the air and we're ready for action. We're determined not to let doubts or complexities overwhelm us. We want to see tangible results. We're tired of being dreamers and shirkers. Our practical mood is briskly impatient with perfectionism. We're not focused on how things could be or might be or what we do if money and time were of no concern. A lot of our previous procrastination was born out of fear. We didn't dare to make a start in case we messed things up and let our ideals down. But now we're prepared to deal with the world as it actually is and accept the constraints that reality imposes. Compromise doesn't sound like a bad word. It's a necessary and mature strategy for achieving results. Do you want to keep going? Mm. Okay. It might look as if we're a touch soulless as if we can't comprehend the poetry or complexity of existence. This wouldn't be the time to play us a sonata or read us a passage of philosophy. But what we'd like people to grasp is that we may have come to this clear, energetic mood via quite a hard road. That's quite poignant, actually. We know all about the temptations of idleness. We recognise perfectly well the allure of meandering reverie. We know from the inside how endless speculation, perfectionism and wishing things were different are the enemies of getting things done. We're not determined to find realistic solutions because we're bland or shallow, but because we've got so much intimate experience of aimless drifting. Now, after an age, we're at last ready to get down to work. You know what I loved about you? I mean, that's deep, man. That's really I deep. I know. So <laughs> the cards, and it's, I don't know if it's written by Alain de Botton, but he is the man who started the School of Life and right. he is a philosopher. And so, you know, they're written from that kind of perspective. Mm. Um, and so all the cards are along those lines yeah so I can't imagine that's exactly how Joe uses that with her son <laughs> I think she just names the emotion however what yeah. I enjoyed really enjoyed about you reading that out where there were three high notes where you 
laboured. You even commentated on one of them. And one was because perfect- I can recognise myself. Yeah, one, in them. Yes, one was perfectionism. <laughs> one was procrastination, and then one was the other one where you actually did say, "Oh, that's quite poignant." So I think it felt to me like you were reading my stars and that there were going to be elements of that 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 spoke to me and elements of that that didn't. And so I think this is the, 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 I'm not going to say joy, the process I'm discovering that it's about finding a way to spend sacred time with yourself to understand what you've experienced over the course of the week or whatever works for you if you want to do it daily and to ask yourself, so this works for me, to ask myself how I've been feeling because it, and you talked about this, I said, have you been using this, these cards? And you said, well, I haven't ritualised it. And I said, that, that hasn't become a ritual. And what I've learned about mm. myself is if it's not part of my habits and my rituals, then it gets neglected and I am... I shouldn't neglect myself. I need to spend this time with myself. And so that's been the gift of the pandemic that I've embraced the slower pace. We've had, we had 262 days of cumulative lockdown here in Melbourne during the pandemic. And that forced my hand to really go inwards. So there's two, I I said there was only one, but there's two final elements. I want to add to this discussion. If I may, are you still Mm -hmm. with me? Mm. the deep one it's a cheesy one so the first one is the decision to do this voices of program so I'll put it I've I've probably mentioned it in all of our podcast episodes or most of them because it's had quite a profound effect on me and the the main thing that I I think the gift that it gave me is that it enabled a creative process where I didn't just go to the couch and talk to my emotions I embodied different parts of myself through a creative process and so when you talked about you know how I process my emotions is that I dance and I you know do all you know I have the music on dance like no one's watching so the whole premise of the voice of program is it's therapeutic it's not therapy Mm. it's therapeutic and it's done Mm. through creative creativity and play And so that in and of itself felt extremely safe for me and it also felt like fun. And it took me back to, dare I say, that inner child that Deborah Mm. was talking about. And so I, I felt very drawn to this program for a variety of different reasons. So it's a structured program where you meet, you go through an activation of a um, an activation sort of process that you know, it's like a meditation. You do some deep journaling. There's a playlist that go, comes with each um, voice, and you go through this exp- exploration of sort of these six voices and these three energies, and then there's a supplementary thing that you can do that looks at another three voices. So I know how it sounds. It's full on, man. And so the 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 richness of it for me was that getting to know each voice and giving them an identity and having to do a creative offering, which often turned into, you know, a personality with props and a voice and an accent and a, you know, and a name, they all were given names and there were some such interesting themes that came with those names allowed me to safely explore the emotions associated with each of those voices Mm. 
And so the voices are things like the shadow voice, the fear voice, inner wisdom, the dreamer, etc. Inner child. Mm. Inner child was very interesting. And what I realized as I went through them all is that they are all parts of me. And mm. so what the what the process, the doing the inner voice program with Tally allowed me to do was to synth like really look back at all of these experiences I've I've had in my life since childhood and process them really differently in a way that I never would have because I'd let my brain take control. <laughs> Whereas mm. this was a lot more heart-led. And it was, you know, there were times where it was extreme. If, if I think about the first creative offering I did as part of that program, it's like, oh, by the way, you're going to have to sing at the start of, you know, you're going to have to do this. So you're not going to, that's not Tali's language. You never have to do anything. You know, think about what the creative expression of this might look like. And so in the first week or two of the offerings, I was so full of fear and, and distrust and I'm not going to sort of record myself singing and then share that with someone. Like, don't be ridiculous, you know. And just watching myself from front, you know, I think the final recording I did for that first week, I had my eyes closed because it was the only way I could comfortably do the creative, creative offering. By the time I got to the 12th week, it was like, you know, bring it on. This is, are we having fun yet? This is so mm. much fun because I had dropped all the fear and I understood that this was a process purely for myself, <laughs> mm. purely sacred time with those inner voices that that damn doer voice, she's fabulous, but God, she needs, she needed to just take a rest. <laughs> she needed to <laughs> slow down. And so I will be forever grateful to Tally for the experience of someone I met through meditation. So I felt high trust in, mm. in being extremely vulnerable in going through a process that was not cerebral or left brained. It was extremely let go to the process. It was a completely a creative outlet. And she said the whole way through, have fun, let your creativity take over, play music. You know, this is, this is meant to be fun and that was mm. what made it safe for me mm. it was an incredible incredible and so the integration of the voices has meant that on the other side of it and this is we're all a work in progress right so each of my voices will be invited into when I'm journaling who's with me now who would like to have their say <laughs> <laughs> there are some rituals there will continue to be some rituals associated with each of them to honour them because they have a point of view and if I don't let them speak. So you mm. could make a connection, couldn't you, between inner voices and emotions. I'm thinking that out loud Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. I really think that that's what that movie, that kids' movie is about. We mm. will find the name of it. Mm. Absolutely. It mm. is helping you integrate and synthesise, as you say, what those emotions are, but it is also labelling it like, you know, when you had your first experience with Deborah in that, um, at that event. Mm, and it's, it's just been incredibly mm. helpful. And I remember I've just also something else has just popped into my head. I remember reading Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now or starting yeah. to read it when I yes. was about 30. It was such a difficult Four. read. And I remember yeah. him warning about, you know, your brain's just this really powerful mm. organ, but it's not you. It's not you. Your brain's not you. 
And I'm only realizing as we're talking about this now, oh, I've really let my brain, I have in the like 10, from 30 to 45, I let my thinking part take over. And of course, this is the whole basis of these conversations, you and I talking about the inner curious and what goes on in our head. However, I think you and I, you especially, but and I'm learning that it's it's that sacred time with self and the honoring of the heart that is the key, the key mm. to I don't know what, like I don't know what we want to call it. Anyone can call it whatever they want. But I think that's a nice segue to my final point, which is the good life. Which is a Hume K book. And there's things I loved about this book and things that I didn't. I want to say that from the outset. I'm a big fan of this author. So McKay creatively explores how the golden rule gives us the possibility of enjoying a deeply satisfying existence. So I read this and finished it as I was also finishing the Voices of program, which was really good timing. And there was some some, some absolutely beautiful synchronicities that have happened throughout me embracing my inner voices and going through this creative process and what he talks about is he really challenges that happiness is he talks about that we've got this sort of utopian complex and we're all going after this sort of existence that is you know why are we and and as humans we need to explore and embrace the spectrum of emotions and it was such beautiful timing because what it made me understand was I need to feel sad, angry, resentful, anxious, fearful. I think I said fear twice. As much as I need to feel happy, joyful, calm, relaxed. Oh, I think that's more emotions that I've, you know, I've been able to name in one sitting than ever, Louise. <laughs> and Big that time. they're a part of a there you need all of them and they're yes. all part of who we are and to go after happy joy satisfaction is to not understand what it means to be human I agree wow I'll lend you this so he mm. um it's a it's a really interesting read and he, he's sort of really um, where he lands at the end I'm still processing mm. um you know because he really talks about this idea of you know you need to think about your connectedness to others and you need to think about how you can serve others and you need to think about being of service and I don't disagree with those things I just am in a different stage where I'm trying to not externalize everything I'm trying to really honor my emotions a little bit more and give them a chance to to integrate Mm. Mm. (laughs) with my what did you call it mode of mode of operating the that latin term modus operandi yeah (laughs) yeah and so I'm hoping the more open to emotions, more self-aware version of me is potentially going to get blindsided yet less or when she does get blindsided, uh, blindsided, I, I welcome that more. I, I'm less afraid of it and I understand that it's something much bigger than me sharing with me that I need to, hello, Karen. 
There's something going mm. on here. We're not on a couch. We're within you right now in this mm. moment. We can talk about it. It's okay. Or we can meditate. We don't have to talk about it. We can breathe and meditate. So there's two things mm. that come to mind. One is a quote from a man uh, called Jonathan Fields who has a podcast called The Good Life Project. How oh, interesting. Connected to the name mm. of the book you've just read. And I... I don't know what the context was that he said it, but I just remember him saying, we're looking to be expressed, not fixed. And I just loved that quote because I, I see that what you're exploring and what you're, you know, the conclusions you're coming to is, is about that. It's about mm. not finding the solution, but letting yourself be expressive in whatever mm. form that comes yeah and I think but being open also, yeah I think being open to I think the reduction in I, I don't think wanting to control things mm. is where I want to be now and so it's it's yes it's the expression it's also the openness to those who are around me that I don't have to fix them. I don't have to solve them, you know, solve. I don't have to mediate. I mean, sometimes mm. maybe I do with teenage cherubs, but, you know, that I'm not, other people are not my problem to solve. The, the work that needs to be done is within me. Mm. What was the second one you were saying, the second thought you had? Uh, there is a quote that I thought would be helpful and relevant because I think another big part of this is the concept of giving yourself space and time like you said the ritual sorry I'm just trying to find um it's it's that idea of space and which I used to just get through sleep I used to yeah. sort of feel so overwhelmed by everything that was going on and I still do like I'm an early to bed kind of person um, because I just wear, wear myself out by 9.30 at night. Um, but I feel I used to go to sleep sort of because I wasn't, you know, it was just a coping mechanism to, oh, life's a bit overwhelming. I think I'm just going to go to sleep now. Whereas now I think it's a general tiredness related to a day filled with more conscious rituals and activities. Mm. Mm. So this other, this other quote says, our culture made a virtue of living only as extroverts. So putting aside the whole, the word extrovert, I, I see that as the living in the external as well. Mm, mm. Um, we discouraged the inner journey and the quest for a centre. So we lost our centre and have to find it again. And that is by Anne Nin. Beautiful. That's how I pronounce it. Yeah, I think that's it for today. Thank you I for listening. A good place to end. Well done. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You're tuning in to The Inner Curious, a conversation between Karen Hollenbach, that's me, and Louise Weigel about the thoughts 
we have out loud that inform who we are and how we navigate the being and the doing. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, tell your friends and share this with someone who you think needs to listen to this right now.